Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. When I packed my bag for the trip to Syracuse last weekend, the first things that landed in my luggage were my Dead Soxie dress socks. They have become a must-have item for my work road trips. That's because Dead Soxie offers a premium product made from bamboo that gives you that luxury feel on your feet, and their patented technology has a no-slip guarantee that prevents the socks from rolling down your leg. And if you haven't been paying attention, Dead Soxie recently launched a navy and gold product line that aligns with the allegiances of our Inside ND Sports podcast listeners. To find the navy and gold options, head to deadsoxy.com, select Team Colorways under the Collections tab on the website, and you'll be able to see the latest products. I like to use the color filter to help me find what I'm looking for too. And if you use the code LUCKY at checkout, that's L-U-C-K-Y, you'll get 25% off your order. We are really excited with how closely Dead Soxy has worked with us and reached out to our Inside ND Sports community, especially on the Insider Lounge message board where you can even chat with them directly in a thread that they've created. So take care of this special offer created specifically for you Find your new socks at deadsoxy.com and use code LUCKY at checkout for 25% off your order. Notre Dame rolled out of Syracuse with a 41-24 victory on Saturday behind the strength of its running game, defense, and special teams. The Irish will need plenty more of that this Saturday when top five Clemson comes to town for a primetime matchup. Given how important the running game has been for Notre Dame, we wanted to reach out to someone who knows a little bit about carrying the rock for the Irish. He's a legend who doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'm going to give it to him anyways. He was a touchdown machine for Lou Holtz. He was a first-round NFL draft pick, a Super Bowl champion, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, and a 2022 Notre Dame graduate. Jerome Bettis, thanks for joining us. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate that intro. You're welcome. Because you were on campus as a student as recently as this spring, Jerome, I'm, I'm curious, what has it been like watching the 2022 season, knowing that you do have some connections to this team? Yeah, it's it's been interesting because obviously having seen a lot of these young men uh, kind of up close and personal, it gives me a better feel uh, of the team itself and kind of what's going on, having, you know, uh, multiple conversations with Coach Freeman. Uh, it gives me a little bit of a, a connection in terms of uh, feel – closer than I probably under normal circumstances would feel to a team. Uh, and, you know, when you're not there, you don't, you don't know any other young men, uh, you look at it more, you know, um, externally. And now, you know, being able to see these young men and see how hard they've worked and what they've put into it, you look at it more internally and I can, uh, you know, I appreciate what they're doing and I, and I feel for them, you know, when they, when they kind of, uh, you know, stumble uh, and, and, you know, lose a game. Jerome, I know that uh, Marcus mentioned to us a few times that you guys met pretty regularly when you were a student on campus. And given that, given how much you kind of saw of his blueprint of maybe the big picture things, how has this season played out in your mind in terms of his adjustments as a first year coach? I mean, did you see the bumps in the road coming or, and, and do you well, think they're going to go away soon? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, you know, you assume there's going to be bumps in the road. You've got a, a, a young quarterback 
right? With, with literally no experience that was going to be starting the season. Um, and so you knew that it was going to be a, a, a difficult road um, because as, as I've seen, it's about quarterbacks, uh, you know, in, in college football. And, you know, the, the dynamic quarterbacks, these are the, 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 the teams with dynamic quarterbacks that are at the top of the charts every, every year. So to have a young guy and experience anew is going to be very challenging. And with the, the schedule that, uh, you know, Notre Dame opened up at Ohio State, you know, a, a new starter, you just knew that it was going to be a, a difficult challenge. And so, yeah, I expected it to be a bumpy road the first year. Um, but it, I thought that, and I still believe that it gives Coach Freeman opportunity to get uh, his legs under him and, and get a feel for what he needs to do and what kind of team that he has. Uh, because obviously, first year coach, he's finding his way. But also it's a team that's trying to, you know, develop an identity. And I think now they're starting to figure out who they are and how they need to play. And you're seeing a different Irish football team when they go out on the field. Jerome, uh, you know, when they lose some of those games, let's say Stanford game, there's people that want to kind of relitigate the whole hiring process. What do you see in Marcus Freeman? And and we know for I mean Lou Holtz was five and six his first year. Brian Kelly was you know, four and five at one point that first year. So what is it that you see in Marcus that leads you to believe long-term this is going to end up being a really good hire? Well, I see his energy, his enthusiasm, his excitement, the way he's going about coaching these young men. I know that it's going to be successful because I was, I was one of those kids, you know, and if my coaches is, telling me all these things, I'm going to believe him. And, and that's what, you know, Lou Holtz did. I mean, he sold us an idea of what we could be and what we could become. Um, and we were able to, to get close to that. We never reached our full potential. Obviously, we didn't win a national championship, but, I, you know, we believed what our coach was telling us. And, and that's because we all bought into the, to the program because it was genuine. And that's what I see with, with Coach Freeman. It's a genuine, it's authentic. And these young men, they know if it's not real, mm -hmm. right? And if you're going through the motions. And then they will, in turn, go through the motions as well with you. So these kids are all invested. They're all in uh, because Coach Freeman is. And so we have to give him an opportunity to get in there. Uh, and unfortunately, the way this world is now, if you lose three games, you know, now they're saying, hey, we got to get him out of here. It's like, are you kidding me? We got to give him a chance to let his program develop. You know, he's going to be recruiting. He's going to get some some really talented kids in here. Give him a chance to let those kids come in and make a difference. Jerome, Audric Estime seems like a running back that you'd have an appreciation for. I, I've even heard some people compare him to you, which is probably a bit premature, how important is that physical presence into Notre Dame's offense? And what is your appreciation for seeing someone like Audrey Gustave in Notre Dame's backfield? Oh, I've got a great appreciation for Audrey and what he's been able to accomplish. I mean, to come into this year 
Uh, not really as the lead dog. He was kind of the afterthought, the third wheel. Well, we'll see what he has. And for him to boom, jump on the stage and really take the reins and really identify um, this team as a powered football team. I mean, you know, I think up until uh, he really stepped on the stage, you didn't know what kind of team Notre Dame was going to be. Uh, and I think he has shown that, hey, this is what kind of team we're going to be. We want to run the football and we'll we'll make timely plays out of that. But our identity is we want to run the football. And that's because of Audrey Estime. So I, I give him a lot of credit for really helping to um, determine what kind of football team uh, this this uh, 2022 Notre Dame team was going to be. Jerome, Audrey has dealt with some fumbling issues earlier in the season. And he told us after the first one, that was the first one of his career. He'd never fumbled before. I'm curious, did you ever have to deal with that as a young running back and how easy or hard is that to get over and through? Well, I, 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 I never had to deal with that as a young player, because if I had, you wouldn't be talking to me now. Coach Holtz, <laughs> Coach Holtz was the one guy that says, Hey, you had two fumbles. I guarantee you won't have three. And you say, why? Because you won't go back in. Uh, so he was that kind of guy that you did not fumble. So I was fortunate enough to very, to fumble very, very few times uh, because we understood that with the wealth of talent that we had in the backfield, if you fumbled the football, there was a, there was a slim chance of you getting back in there anytime soon. So, uh, but, but I do believe that, you know, Audrey has to understand the importance of the football, right? You, that's the number one priority. It's not getting the extra yard. Sometimes as running backs, we, we, we think about getting that extra yard and we expose the football at times. And so we've got to understand and learn uh, as you become, you know, more of a veteran running back and more carries you get, you understand that I got to protect this ball even more and even more. And, and I think, you know, him losing the ball a couple of times has now caused him to understand that. If you've never fumbled the ball before, you don't understand the importance and the significance, right, mm -hmm. of keeping it high and tight. But now, I promise you, he's he's very conscious uh, of where the placement of that ball is, and he's going to protect it at all costs. Before I ask you my next question, I'll share a little story. Uh, Bill Bolinski was our beat writer when you first came to campus and um he became our sports editor so the spring going into your sophomore year a couple of us split up covering spring practice and i had been covering big 10 football so i hadn't seen a lot of you i'd seen clips but seeing you up close in practice for the first time i jump on the golf cart with lou holtz and we're riding back to his office and i go man number six he's a lot faster than I had seen, you know, on TV. And he goes, I don't know if he's as fast or people aren't in a hurry to get to him. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that first day I went, I, I mean, I had seen you on TV and I, it was eye opening. So I wanted to share with you that story, but do you, do you talk to Lou still? I do. I just saw him, uh, a week and a half ago, two week, not this one, not this past weekend, the weekend before, but two weekends ago. Okay. So, so my question to you is I understand you're coming up for the Clemson game, correct? Yep. Okay. So why don't you give us your matchup, your thoughts about 
how Notre Dame matches up in this game. Well, it's, it's a difficult matchup. You're dealing with a veteran quarterback um, that has weapons uh, all over the field. They got a running back who's really special. Uh, so from a matchup standpoint, this will, this will be the toughest test that um, Notre Dame will have faced other than Ohio State. Um, obviously, Ohio State had the, the magnificent receivers. Um, they lost one uh, during the course of the game, so they didn't have to deal with all three. But I think probably this, this group of wide receivers will be the, the most talented full group that they will have, have to play for entire game. So that's a, uh, that's putting a lot on this defense. Uh, and then on the other side, the strength of the Clemson defense is their defensive line. And I think the, the strength of the Notre Dame offense is its offensive line. So I, I think that gives, uh, gives us an opportunity uh to to make some plays now uh pine is going to have to be uh very judicious with the football um and he's got to he's got to make sure that uh, he has his best game uh as a student athlete uh, at Notre Dame in order for us uh to win this has got to be a mistake free game uh, if if we get into a turnover situation, I don't think we have any chance of winning this game. So I think we've got to we've got to play them tough. Uh, it, it's going to be scratching and clawing. I think we've got to go with our game plan, running the football, and and getting some timely throws in there as we force them to, to kind of stop the run. Um, and uh, we've got to you know I, I think our quarterback he's going you know Pine's going to have to he's going to move he's going to have to run for some first downs uh they've got a sophisticated enough defense where they're going to put pressure on him and force him to, to want to throw the football and so he's got to get some of those first downs on the ground running which is going to be tough put him in was going to put him in harm's way but I think that's the only way that um we're able to keep Clemson on their toes. It's going to be an uphill battle every step of the way. Uh, monumental challenge. Uh, but I think at home uh, with the crowd uh, and a couple of big plays early, we got a chance to, uh, to do the unthinkable. Jerome, as I understand it, your son will also be at the, at the game this weekend. He's a 2025 recruit. What has it been like uh, experiencing the start of the recruiting process with him? Is it something that you're embracing or is that something that you try to just sort of sit, step back and let him sort of go through it on his own? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing, I'm letting him go through it, but uh, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, making sure that um, he's looking at the right things uh, and not just looking at, you know, who's the top team in the country and what, you know, what is this? Well, I, I want him to understand that and picking a, a, a school, you're looking at multiple factors, right? And so you know, this is an opportunity, another opportunity for him uh, to look at uh, the school that I went to. Obviously, I'm biased. And so right. I would love for him to love uh, Notre Dame. He grew up on, on Notre Dame football. So I would love for him to, to see what I saw and um, looking forward to, you know, taking him there and letting him see everything. But uh, understanding as well, um, 
he's got he still has a lot of developing to do and a lot of growing to do and and by no means will I say right now he's ready to play at Notre Dame no not not the case at all so he's got he's got two more years and and hopefully uh with the trajectory that he's on I think he'll be uh more than capable but uh it's still a process and I'm, I'm looking forward to going through that process with him speaking of process you you talked a lot about your experience coming back to Notre Dame to get your degree while you were here in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, now that you're several months out from that, has it changed your life in any way? Is you know, either from a personal standpoint or for professional or whatever? Well, it is it definitely changed my life because I mean, just the introduction I got today was hey, you know, <laughs> class of 2022 that that will be with me forever and that is something that um i always felt incomplete and as much success as i had i would look at a bio and i would look at something i read it and it's you know he attended the university of notre dame and that's kind of you know how you have to leave it and it's like ah. and so i always year after year after year looked at that and always felt that it was incomplete and uh, no matter how much success I had and got into the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame and you're looking at all this and it's still, it's still not complete. And so I, I just felt that that was something that I needed to do um, for me, for my family, uh, for my mother. So there were so many reasons. And, and yes, I feel like a different person because I was able to complete a task that uh, was set forth uh, in front of me uh, you know, over 30, almost 30 years ago. And I, I was able to, to close that, uh, close that door. So it's a, a big accomplishment for me. And yes, I feel, uh, and I am a different person as a result of it. So what's next on the Jerome Bettis to-do list? <laughs> <laughs> the next thing is to get my daughter to college. She's a senior. Uh, she's looking at a bunch of schools uh, and she loves Notre Dame, but there is a but. She's also super interested in schools that I—I I mean, I would love not to name because they're like <laughs> my nemesis schools. Like she's she's she was one of her one of her teammates. She runs track, and one of her teammates went to USC, and she, she went out and visited. I'm like, of all the places, <laughs> and so and then another trip. She went down to University of Miami, and I'm like, no. And I'm like, you know what? You can go to these schools. I'm just not writing the check. <laughs> I'm just not in. Your mother's gonna have to do it because I cannot, in 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 all honesty, write a check and say, you know, payable to either one of those schools. No way. <laughs> Jerome, I, I'm curious where you were when you watched the 2020 game at Notre Dame Stadium with Clemson and Notre Dame, where were you? I was at home and, uh, you know, it was uh, exciting. It was all here. My family, everybody was watching it. And we were, you know, we were on the edge of our, our seats, you know, watching that game. And, and what, what was your reaction during the height of COVID when the (laughs) students stormed the field? I'm like, oh my goodness, a super spreader. Here we go. 
<laughs> okay, but but you know what? But I knew it was such a big moment. Yeah, I understood it because those kids, you know, they're they've been locked up and they're doing all this stuff, and and you know, yeah, as a you know, I was you know forty eight, you know, I'm and I'm right in the middle of that age group that we got to be careful right and so i'm looking at it one perspective and these 20 20 year olds somethings they're looking at it in totally different perspective and, and i only gained that perspective after having been on campus right and at that moment i was like what are they doing no and now <laughs> i get it i understand this was an opportunity for them to celebrate an, an incredible moment and they had been kind of locked up you know, yeah. for so long, this was their moment. They they didn't care what anybody said. They were going in, uh, and it didn't matter what anybody thought. Okay, my follow up to that, my last question for you, yeah, is um, if Notre Dame wins Saturday and the students storm the field, will you be there with them? One hundred percent, I would. Okay, one hundred percent, I would because uh, I, I'm you know. I'm still attached, 100%. <laughs> awesome. Jerome, I wanted to circle back with one more football topic. The, I think a lot of the times when we talk about offensive line play, we talk about how all five of those guys have to be sort of be on the same page, but I don't know that we spend a lot of time talking about how on the same page they need to be with the running backs. Can you sort of explain the process of that and maybe a little bit of the nuances of that that maybe you see that has come together for Notre Dame so far this season? Yeah, well, so with the running back, it's a couple of things. You you want to know how your offensive linemen operate. And when I say that, I mean on certain plays, there's at this the offensive line is being asked to do certain things. Well, some players like some players like to do things a certain way. So let's say if it's a if it's a, a, a outside play to the right. Well, I know my guard. To the right, he may like to run more than the guard on the left, right? The guard on the left, he's more of an inside guy. So once if we run that same play to the left, he's probably not going to, to get outside of that guy. And when you don't get outside the guy, then you don't create a lot of space, right? If if the guard tries to reach a, reach that defensive tackle, that defensive tackle innately is going to get wide because he can't get reached. Which, which is gonna open up the hole a lot more. Well, if I know this guy likes to do this and this guy likes to, when I when they call a play, I know where the hole is most likely gonna be. And that goes for every single guy, every single offensive lineman on the line. If you know what their strengths and weaknesses are, then you can kind of predict and understand through the course of plays where the hole is gonna be uh, where the advantage is going to be in the same way with pass protection. If I know, uh, you know, Hey, my right guard, he's probably not the best uh, protection guy. You know, he gets a little top heavy. Okay. Or I know if I'm going out on a route, I need to help chip his guy on the way out. Right. Or my tackle. He, you know, he's more susceptible to the inside move because he likes to jump out on those guys. Well, okay. Well then, I may take my route inside and help him on the inside. So it's it's knowing your offensive lineman, and the more you know that nuanced uh, uh, 
that small little detail, you'll be you'll be able to impact the game significantly in the running game and in the passing game. All right, Jerm, I know you spend a lot of time with your The Bus Stops Here Foundation. Can you share with our listeners what that is and how they can support it if they'd like to? Well, you know, it's a, a foundation I started over 30 years ago, and, and the idea was to, to help underprivileged and at-risk kids in, in the communities that I was fortunate enough to uh, be in and, and, and support. And so it, it, it all came you know, to fruition because I was an at-risk kid growing up. You know, I grew up in inner city Detroit and could have went in a lot of different directions. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get some uh, direction and, and guidance from a foundation much like mine. And I was able to reach my full potential because I was given resources and opportunities uh, that um, that wasn't present uh, in, my, uh, in those circumstances that I were in. So I said to myself, if I ever get a chance, I want to try to do the same and provide that same kind of, of opportunity, the resources that we can then give these young men and women an opportunity to reach their full potential. And, and thus I started the Bus Stops Here Foundation and, and we've been at it ever since. And, and that's all, that's been our goal. We've got programs and we're working with kids in, in uh, multiple cities. Um, we have a, I have a, I have a, a scholarship uh, that's at Notre Dame that it, that is provided to any kid that went to any of the that that went to school in any of the cities that I played in. So whether it was Detroit, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Los Angeles, uh, or South Bend, they they have access to the scholarship. And so it's those kind of things that we're trying to do to help provide that opportunity and, and kind of put our arms around these young men and women and give them opportunity to be successful because I know it can I know it can work because it worked for me and I and I was successful as a result. And and so we want to try to do the same and, and see more uh, young men and women uh, become success stories. And if anybody's interested, you know you can go to the bus stops here foundation.org uh and the help and, and all help is uh is definitely appreciated so thanks thanks for letting me talk about it you bet we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us jerome and, and sharing your insight and uh, if notre dame wins on saturday we will keep an eye out to see where you're where you're at on the field i won't i won't have my shirt off but i'll definitely be out there <laughs> <laughs> A reminder, the Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. With a patented technology and the no-slip guarantee, made for from bamboo for that cool look and feel. And now Dead Soxie has listened to you on our message board and come out with a navy and gold collection. Uh, has all the designs and colors of your favorite team. And you know who your favorite team is. You want to go to take a look at them. You want to go to deadsoxy.com, click on the collections tab and select team colorways from the drop down menu. And even if you say, boy, it would be really cool to have um, a design of Tyler James profile on my sock, you can go to our message board and suggest that to Dead Soxy. And they'll at least read your suggestion. They do listen to you guys. Don't know that they would in that particular situation. <laughs> um, so, uh, and again, if you want to not just stock up on your own dead soxy socks, but uh, it's it's a good time to start thinking about Christmas gifts. They make a great 
Christmas gift. And right now you can get 25% off with the promo code LUCKY. That's DeadSoxy, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Promo code LUCKY to get 25% off your order. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Knowledge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First question we have, Eric, is from Baba Ganoush at P-L-A-C-T underscore I-T-F-D-B. What else can Notre Dame do to put Drew Pine in a position to succeed with the pass? It's maddening to see the same thing the last three games and continue to see bounce screen passes or wide open misses. I feel for the kid, but it isn't but isn't it becoming an untenable situation? Well, let me answer the last comment there. If there were a better alternative, if if Steve Angeli were ready, I, I'm sure they would consider that, and he must not be, uh, and and that doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, I see the same thing you do, Baba Ganoush, and uh, I've given it some thought too, and and we talked about it a little bit on the um, YouTube show on Monday night. Um, you know, maybe rolling him out a little bit, but again, then you're, um, then you're you know, just giving him half of the field to throw to, which I think teams would love. Um, I, you know, I, I think, again, probably the easiest or the probably the best solution is what Tommy Reese did in the Cal game after he was struggling to begin that game and just settling him down by giving him the easiest throws that he could have to get him some confidence and get him going. And then eventually kind of opening things up a little bit more uh, that puts your offense at a disadvantage, but it, it worked against Cal. I don't know that it would work against a defense as good as Clemson, but I, I think that's what you have to do. And, and maybe just getting the ball out of his hands quick, you know, where he doesn't have to throw, he doesn't have to do a lot of progression reading. He can just get rid of the ball. So that would be my advice. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to run out of suggestions, if I'm being honest. I, I think, I mean, he has to make his reads. He has to make his throws. He's not necessarily doing all of those consistently. Um, and it seems like every sort of obvious solution or suggestion, there's a counterpoint to it that the defense could do to make that difficult. Like, throw it quick. It's like, well, okay, yes, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I'd like to see him just sort of make these decisions um, quickly and more decisively. But if the secondary is playing tight coverage, um, do you trust enough of your receivers to get open and make a play? Um, who beyond Michael Mayer are you, are you willing to put in contested uh, catch situations close to the line of scrimmage? So I don't, I don't know. I mean, he has to play better. I think that's part of it. It's not just, it's not just on play calling. I mean, I don't know. There's sometimes, I mean, when you, when you design a screen, 
um, he's got to make the throw. Um, I think, for instance, like the Lorenzo Styles one, Lorenzo probably could have come to the ball a little bit more. Um, and then uh, Marcus Freeman mentioned something on Monday, and I don't know which um, plays he was referencing, but he said something to the effect that sometimes our pass protection is, isn't helping. It's maybe getting in the way and, he didn't. He was indicating that that's not necessarily the offensive line, but maybe the running back certain situations. And if you w- go back and watch that screenplay, Audric Estime lines up to Ian Book's left, and the screen is being thrown to the left. So at the snap, Audric is trying to help pass protect to the right. So he like sort of has to step in front of Drew. Drew sort of has to step back, and that creates more time, and maybe maybe makes it harder for Drew to make that throw because then the defensive end on that side sort of rushes at him. And I think he's a little bit concerned that that guy might get a hand on it. So there are little adjustments here or there that I think could make a difference. Um, but at some point the quarterback has to be able to make up and, and your receivers too. They have to be able to make up for not everything being perfect. Like especially against a team like Clemson, Notre Dame is not going to be dealing in opportune and, and, and uh, perfect situations so it has to sort of make up the difference with its ability to make plays, whether it's the quarterback or the receiver. So I think those are th- that's where I think a lot of the fault lies. Certainly, Tommy Reese can do some things in play calling. I still think RPOs and play action need to be a staple of the offense and try to get some more of the running backs in space and maybe uh, try to stretch the field horizontally because I don't, it seems pretty clear that Notre Dame can't stretch the field vertically a lot and they're also not passing the ball well in between the hash marks so whatever it can do to sort of utilize the outside edges of the field um maybe that's an area for something to do but sometimes those can be harder throws for drew pine too so i i don't know if i, if I sound exhausted <laughs> um i think uh i think i i think that's probably the right uh reflection of my views of the passing offense at this point all right, next question, which is fairly similar from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What do you think needs to be done to get Drew Pine some confidence? What would you do with the scheme? Have him come out of the pocket a little bit and make some easy passes, more play action, more RPOs? Also, would you bring in a sports psychologist this week? You know, um, we answered that a little bit in the last question, and um, we ra- rambled with that. I'm going to try a little bit different approach with this you mentioned the rpo game and um and i think you mentioned in another question they do some rpos and i think drew makes some good decisions with those but where he's where teams have kind of found the trump card for him is in drop eight rush three and so even if he makes the right read there he's having trouble navigating that rush three drop eight every quarterback has to go through it i can remember jimmy clausen having to do it sean kaiser having to do it and and they they've dealt with an ian book and they've dealt with it in different ways with ian and deshaun they could just take off they could run the ball and make the defense pay i think maybe you have to do that a little bit with drew um you're you're exposing him to injury and he's not the quickest of foot he's not going to be able to make you pay but he's not you know, Tommy Reese or Jimmy Clausen either, uh, he can run faster than them. So if he can get six yards on a play like that, you know, maybe the team reconsiders at some point uh, dropping into eight-man coverage. 
Um, you know, I think that's probably the, the other thing is the thing that got Jimmy Clausen out of it was his check downs. He was really good eventually in finding that receiver that could get in space and do some damage with, with so many people dropped down the field. And, and, and with Clausen, they were dropping deep because Clausen could wing it right deep so there was some space in the middle of the field and he was able to you know between charlie weiss with this decided schematic advantage and and jimmy they finally got through that period and then people didn't didn't challenge him as far as a sports psychologist i'm not sure and i'm not sure that they would be real open to talking about that i know jack Cohn was really happy about having amber selking on staff the performance specialist who was not retained after last season I think I read somewhere that Notre Dame does have some resources um put into that you know the times that I asked Marcus about that back in the off season I think I surprised him and he didn't have a real direct answer for me but maybe it's something worth asking about again but I'm not sure especially there's a resolution that they'll volunteer that that's happening, you know, maybe after he gets it, you know, that was kind of the way it was with Jonas Gray. Jonas saw a sports psychologist when he was having a fumbling problem and they kind of, after the fact, volunteered that information once he was um, going in the right direction. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It, like bringing someone in this week, I, I, I think it would need to be someone that you already have established uh a relationship with or uh, in that way as a sports psychologist, I don't bring someone new in doesn't sound like a great idea to me, but it's to be frank, it's something that I don't know, have any sort of experience with. I don't really know what, what that's like, what, what, what a player can get out of that. Um, other than we've heard people say that it helps them, but I don't know that it's, a, I don't know that I have any experience in hearing from someone like saying, yeah, I was really struggling. So all of a sudden this person came in and, and fixed it for me. I I had a I had an interview with Cone where he did say that not not so much that he was struggling with something but how much Cell King helped him and so right but it wasn't but it wasn't it wasn't a specific week let's right yeah yeah didn't yeah it wasn't like after the after the Cincinnati game he yeah. just met Amber Amber Cell King and then they got to know each other and she fixed his problems that week um, so I, I just. Some of it, like it has to come from success, and if you don't have the success, you can't you can't really manufacture confidence. Um, it can come from repetition um, and comfort um, from what you're doing in practice and feeling like that's going to apply in the game, and then you got to see it work in the game too. So I, I think you have to make the easy plays and the big plays early in the game, and the co- confidence sort of comes from comes from that. And sometimes. There's, you know, we've seen pro athletes. I remember John Smoltz was helped by a sports psychologist and he talked about it. And and then there's guys that have the yips. Who's the left-hander that played for the Cubs and the Cardinals and played over the Cardinals one year, the lefty that couldn't throw to first base. Oh, uh, is that Lester? Yeah, Lester, you know, and they just had to kind of work around that. He never got over that. Um, You know, he was so good at the other aspects of the game that it, became less of an issue but uh yeah he he never got through that all right speaking of the yips andrew barlow at barl andrew says it's pretty clear that drew pine has the yips should nd bring back their sports psychologist 
Um, I seem to recall her tenure ending when Kelly's did. So we have a lot of questions that are sort of dovetailing on each other. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on Andrew's well, question here? I, I liked Amber Selking. I, I just heard from so many players about that being a positive. I know that Brian felt like she was a positive. You know, I had a chance to interview her uh, when she was brand new there. The I, w- I did a day in the life of Brian Kelly uh, in the off season between 2016 and 2017, talked to her then, um, ran into her at Pete Chivarelli's house one day after a game and had a great conversation with her. I, I think she's terrific. Uh, but I don't know that everybody in the program thought she was terrific and thought that they maybe could accomplish those goals in a, in another way. But, um, to answer your question, Andrew, I'm, you know, I, I don't think that that was a great move. Uh, to move on from her because there was a lot of success there. So, um, you know, I, I, I think she still lives locally. I, somebody said they had seen her on the sideline at an LSU game, but I, I believe she works with some corporations in Elkhart, which is close by. Uh, so, so she's certainly hanging around. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I sort of addressed it in the previous question. I guess the thing I would add in relation to this question is that I, I <laughs> I don't know that I'm comfortable diagnosing someone needing a psychologist. It feels a little bit like crossing some weird line to me. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just a personal thing, but I, 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 I don't know that I feel like well, I have the authority think, to say that Drew Pine, that would be the fix to Drew Pine's issues. I, I think there's a difference, you know, they're sports psychologists and, and they did, they, they label her as a mental performance specialist. So it wasn't just, fixing problems it was being proactive I mean they did a lot of visualization which I know a lot of athletes do that they you know they do the visualizing before they do the event and they feel like that that helps them I can remember Purdue doing that under Coletto um, Jim Coletto years and years ago when I was on the Big Ten beat so I mean there's a line too between you know are you going to Dr. Phil or Dr. Laura are you going to something else that's a little bit more progressive and and a little bit more proactive proactive so all right let's move on <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, yeah yeah we're not and we're uh, taking our doctor hats off I, I do think that matt bayless has some of the mental performance stuff baked into his strength program um so i think that maybe what they saw some of the overlap and maybe felt that there wasn't the need for that but um yeah, I mean, I guess my perspective, and this is, comes maybe from a place of ignorance because I haven't dealt with someone like this. I, I just don't think of like a sports psychologist as like a doctor you go to when you have the cold. You don't say, "Well, now I got a cold. I need, I need an antibiotic." I don't know that. Right. I can't, I can't complete my th- throws between the hash marks. Now I need a sports psychologist. I think some of it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, there could be any number of ways to fix it, and I'm not sure that this is necessarily right. The right what answer. Amber did. Amber did some individual stuff, but she did a lot of group stuff and she did stuff with coaches too. So. All right. Next question. Maybe maybe she had Brian Kelly envision himself running out onto the field during an onside kick. (laughs) All right. Next question is from at Mr. Joe Seiler with Deion Colsey, Mitchell Evans, Tobias Merriweather, and Jaden Thomas making strides. How good could the ND passing game be if Drew Pine looks for someone other than Michael Mayer? Well, um, the thing is, you don't want to ignore Michael Mayer. I mean, he's the best tight end in college football and maybe will end up being the best tight end in the history of Notre Dame. So certainly 
you don't want to ignore him at the same time i do think for drew pine it's become a security blanket and he misses other open receivers because he's doesn't go through his progressions he locks on to michael Mayer and doesn't make that next progression and i do think some of the other receivers that you mentioned would do do a good job and and you've seen if you go back and watch some of the tv copies the um or you're watching it live like most people are you um see that the announcers even point out that there were people open and he's locked in on michael Mayer. so a little bit less of that and a little bit more of those others and i think uh that would certainly improve the notre dame passing game but man there's going to be games and i think this one is one of them with clemson where where michael Mayer is going to be somebody that you need to throw the ball to a lot yeah i think so, sometimes it's unfair to say oh this guy was open because we have no idea like where he was in the progression if there was something pre-snap that led him to looking to the left and the guy was to the right and he was maybe his fourth or fifth option like that's not usually realistic that that person would um the quarterback would sort of get to that person in the progression um but I would tend to think that usually the guys on TV, the, the guy, especially guys that have played quarterback, may have a better sense for that than we will. Um, I, I think it, the offense can definitely improve with the the strides that those other pass catchers are making. Um, I still don't know. I mean, to me, you don't really have a number one wide receiver. I mean, Michael Mayer is your number one pass catcher, but I don't. I, we thought it would be Lorenzo Styles. He still isn't. He still isn't that. Um, can he be that? I think so, but I'm not sure if that's happening this season or not. Um, and so I, I think I think if you had sort of like a like, on Colsey get three catches. Yeah, no, that was encouraging. I think you'd like to be the sort of a, there to be some number two go to guy. Like obviously Michael Mayer's the go to guy, but okay, who do I look to next or who do I have the most confidence in next? And I don't really know what the answer to that is. Um, so he definitely needs to take some of his focus off Michael Mayer. Like it wasn't a coincidence that Tommy Reese, I don't think we've addressed this on the podcast because it happened last Tuesday night. Um, Tommy Reese, when we, when we were talking to him about is 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 Drew focusing on Michael Mayer too much, he sort of raised his voice, not in an angry way, but just so Drew Pine could hear him, who was in the room leaving after his interviews, to say sometimes our eyes need to go somewhere else because there are going to be – like he needs to leave the focus from Mayer and move on to the next option – um, sometimes. And so I think that is an area of improvement that Drew Pine can make. Um, I know it's, it's hard because you feel so confident in what Michael Merrick can do. And even when he's not open, you still think he can make a catch, but Notre Dame has to be able to rely on some other guys, but I do think he will play a big role in the Clemson game on Saturday. All right. Next question is from at Soli Fenton. Do you think Notre Dame goes after some receivers in the portal or roles with the freshman wide a freshman class coming in. You know, Kyle Kelly, our recruiting writer, posts a lot of uh, the highlights from these receivers in their um, high school games, and they do look pretty good. They have three committed right now. They're trying to add a fourth to the class. We believe that four receivers that are currently on the roster won't be on next year, and we're including Avery Davis in that group. So you would still have, if you sign the four, kept four, you would still only have eight. Uh, Chancey Stuckey has mentioned, the wide receivers coach, that the ideal number is 10. So let's say he gets what he wants. 
then you would be probably looking at two portal additions. I think at least one of them, um, and and I think a grad transfer one makes some sense. Um, you know, you want to leave opportunities for those young guys to earn some playing time, but I think you need a, a veteran wide receiver, at least one of them, and get them in, in in January so that they can go through spring practice. Yeah, and just for anyone who's like, wait, he said four guys. Who are those four guys? Just to make sure that you're on the same page. Avery Davis, Braden Lindsey, Matt Salerno, and Joe Wilkins Jr. are the guys we won't we won't expect to be on the team next season. Um, so that's who Eric's talking about losing. Um, and then obviously the hope is that the four younger guys will be back next year, Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Thomas, Deanne Colsey, and Lorenzo Styles. So I and think – I think, yeah, and I think – the decision in terms of how aggressive or what kind of grad transfers or transfers you look for at the wide receiver position is, is related to your confidence in those guys that are here now. I don't know how much you can rely on a bunch of freshmen coming in and making those impacts. I think you have to have a sense of whether or not they're going to be reliable. And because if they're not, then you got to have depth um, regardless of, (laughs) uh, of what, what those guys can do or regardless of what the sophomores, uh, the current sophomores and current freshmen will do. Uh, so it's something that Notre Dame has to look into. I believe they will look into similar to what they did this past off season. But um, I think there's probably a lot guy, uh, probably an even better chance that they go after someone or get someone this off season. They also have some, probably some extra numbers, but again, they're going to be freshmen. You know, Jeremiah love can, play probably a little wide receiver you can throw um dylan edwards into the slot so you'll have numbers but you need some experience you look at you know the iowa receiver charlie jones who went to purdue and and he was pretty set that he was going to go to purdue once he jumped into the portal right they did try to make a run at him but man he's fantastic yeah that would have been a that would have been a great addition um yeah, I think uh, that there's a number of – I'd be curious, like, does Notre Dame consider – I mean, they have this these sophomore – current sophomore cornerbacks who seem to have been kind of passed up. Or Can any of those guys play wide receiver? I don't know. That's, like, a very reassuring option. But um, Notre Dame and has – And you're talking about Riley, Barnes, and Tucker? Yeah, yeah. Someone from yeah. that group maybe. Um, I mean, that's not like, okay, great, we're going to go out and win games with one of those guys at wide receiver, but I think that's maybe a potential depth option if those guys are still sticking around because I don't know what their futures look like at the cornerback position. Um, I, I think Barnes could potentially end up being a safety, but he also has good length, so maybe he could play receiver. I don't I don't really know, but that would be um, something to maybe consider, but I would I would expect that would be towards the bottom of the list in terms of what they'd like to do. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Given the struggles in the passing game, are we staring at a Georgia 2019 offensive game plan with a few Michael Mayer shots sprinkled in? You know, I um, the this question twisted me up a little bit. So I went back and looked at the game plan. <laughs> Notre Dame ran 14 times, and they threw 47 passes in that game. So... I, that's not what my expectation would be that my expectation would be that Notre Dame would want to run a lot more than they threw uh, in the Clemson game. So I would say kind of the opposite of that. The one thing that did happen in the Georgia game in terms of those passes was uh, Cole Komet um, got a bunch of 
balls thrown his way, he tied what was then the school record for uh, receptions in a game with nine, and that was a, a pretty good um, outcome. I think Clemson, if Notre Dame had elite wide receivers or even really better than average ones, we might see that be able to work against their defense. Uh, but Notre Dame hasn't shown that. So I think Clemson's going to game plan against Michael Mayer and kind of force Notre Dame to beat them with their wide receivers and with Drew Pine's arm. So I think it's going to be maybe the flip, uh, complete opposite of the Georgia game. Clemson would love it if if Notre Dame threw 47 passes and only ran 14 times. Yeah, uh, this question threw me for a loop too. I wasn't. I was a little bit lost. That I don't think they're going to try to throw it forty-seven times. Um, so I was like, well, maybe he was thinking of the twenty seventeen game, but that or Brandon Wimbush threw it forty times in that game and also rushed it sixteen times. I don't think Drew Pine's going to be doing that many rushes or hopefully in Notre Dame's case, uh, passing it that many times either. So I'm not. That Georgia defense was so fast it was the one time Brandon Wimbush looked slow in a game yeah and I don't think Clemson's defense is that uh I I think if I were gonna cherry pick a game plan it would be the North Carolina game plan from earlier this season that I'd like to see Notre Dame sort of replicate use the multiple running backs get the ball to the running backs in the passing game scheme Michael Mayer wide open take some downfield shots um I think like I I indicated earlier i think you can play horizontally against clemson i don't know like they don't have linebackers that are like roquan smith uh so that that helps um maybe notre dame get some mismatches there with some linebackers um and try to use the if you can't if you can't throw it past them try to try to stretch the field the other way and and get some guys in space to try to make some plays next question is from sjb 75 on the insider lounge with regard to Notre Dame winning Saturday night, do you believe Tommy Reese and the Notre Dame offense or Al Golden and the Notre Dame defense have more pressure on themselves for the team to win? I'm not sure about pressure, but I think um, Al Golden's defense matches up better with Clemson's offense than the other way around. I think you know, Notre Dame still has a long way to go in terms of being a better-than-average offense even though the running game has come a long way, that plays right into the teeth of the Clemson defense. So, um, and and I would say, to I mean, maybe if we're thinking about pressure, and I'm not inside their heads, but I mean, I think Reese, you know, has career aspirations beyond Notre Dame. He'd like to show the world that he's an elite offensive play caller, and that hasn't happened numerically this year. I mean, maybe if you get into the subtleties, you could build a case. Some of the people doing the games on TV build that case for Tommy, but um, you know, Al Golden, I think his defense is getting better and better each week. And again, I think it's a uh, fair matchup for Notre Dame's defense against Clemson's offense. Yeah. I'm not whether you say it's pressure or responsibility or the toughest task, I think regardless, it's, it's the offense and Tommy Reese. They, they have the most to prove on Saturday night and the most to do on Saturday night in order for Notre Dame to, to beat Clemson. So I, I don't, I'm not sure it's particularly close to be honest. Certainly Notre Dame's defense needs to play well and can 
go a long way in helping the Irish win the game, but the game I think is going to be won with Notre Dame's offense on the field, won or lost with Notre Dame's offense on the field. It's interesting because the um, 2020 game, those were both top 10 defenses and it ended up being a 47-40 game. Now that wasn't two overtimes, but um, a lot more offense than we thought was going to happen in that game. Yeah, and that tend, in my opinion, that tends to be the case in bigger games much yeah. more frequently in, in the modern era of college Tennessee, football. Alabama, for example. Right. Tennessee, who's ranked right where they should be. <laughs> All right, next question from LDL Go Irish on the inside lounge. This one is a long one here, so bear with me. We are two-thirds of the way into the season. I always felt from one viewpoint to be a great team, your stars need to play to that level. The stability players think J.D. Bertrand need to consistently do what they do. If those two things happen, the role players and upcoming players will play above their expected level in the shorter number of plays they would be on the field. I think the stars have not performed to the back of their card, so to speak. On defense, Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamalola, Brandon Joseph, and Mayor Leofau are those star players. The defense has been coming on recently, but over the course of the season, I believe all four have performed below expectations. As an example, Isaiah Foskey played to an 80 grade last year. This year's PFF grade is a 73. More markedly, Jason Adamalola has played to over 70 every year at Notre Dame until this year at 62 and dropping. Has he healed? He was expected to be a stud this year. Did we expect too much from Marist? On offense, Jarrett Patterson has been over 10 points below his previous two seasons where he averaged around 80. Is he still hurt? I believe the coaches will have the players ready for Clemson. I also believe the game plan will be strong. Yes, ND will need to win the turnover battle and the special teams battle. Besides those two items and having some semblance of a passing game, the stars need to shine. Can they? Why haven't they? And then lastly, added in parentheses, I excluded Michael Mayer, who has. There's a lot to unpack there, and I'll try yeah. to be um, concise. First of all, I love the fact that we have access to the pro football focus stats. They're um, super helpful. I was talking to Pete Sampson from The Athletic before one of the press conferences, and I asked him if he thought they were helpful. And the reason being, Isaiah Foskey had just had a monster game and ended up being the 16th-ranked defensive player on Notre Dame's defense that day, and according to PFF. And he said he likes the quantitative uh, aspects of it, but not always the qualitative. And I think for whatever reason, whoever's grading Isaiah Foskey has been dipping into the liquor cabinet, I guess, <laughs> is the best way to do it. Because I think he has played, especially the last few weeks, really at a high level. Um so I, I'll put that out, out there. As far as, you know, the stars overall, Jason Adam Malola, I thought he'd be a top five player on this team. He's not been. I thought Marist Leofau would be top five or so. He has not been. With Marist, I think the, the year layoff and just not having practices in August every day where he was going hard and learning and doing things at full speed, probably did set him back more than I thought he he would. Uh, but we've seen some signs that he's getting better. Um, and then Jarrett Patterson, I don't, I mean, we're going to talk to him Tuesday night. Um, I, I think he will be probably hold back a little bit on what his foot feels like, but I doubt that he's fully 
healthy. I mean, they didn't let that completely heal before he started playing on it. He's got a special shoe with a special arch. He said he's got the most expensive foot at the Goog um, with all the things that the metal plate that's in his shoe and so forth. And really it was about pain tolerance with him, not the foot kind of completely healing. But I still think he's played well. Um, I, I think what what's kept Notre Dame from being the team, mostly the team that they should have been or we thought they could have been coming out of the gate I think some of it is a first-year coach, and I think a lot of it is quarterback play, wide receiver play, and cornerback play. The three, the the kind of triumvirate of um, concerns going into the season stayed there. It was th- those positions haven't markedly improved. Um, and then was the other part is how what they need to do against Clemson. Uh, not necessarily just can, just can they, do you think the stars can shine against Clemson? I guess would probably be, I think what the last part of that question is. I mean, they're going to have to, if you think about, you know, the, the few big stage games that Notre Dame did have success because they've lost a lot of these, you know, they were one in 18, one of their last 18 going into that Clemson game. And they've been 0-3 since that Clemson game in top five games. But the game that they won, which was the one at Notre Dame Stadium, you know, Jeremiah Wusukoromo was an animal. I mean, right. he took over that game. And so Notre Dame needs Foskey or Leah Fow or Bertrand, Brandon Joseph, somebody like that to step forward and, and be that big-time player. And, and Drew Pine has got to play above. You know, he's got to be the North Carolina Drew Pine. So – Tyler's suggestion using the North Carolina game plan. Maybe that'll make him the North Carolina Drew Pine. Too bad North Carolina's defense (laughs) coming along for the ride. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I watched them them against Pittsburgh the other night. They are improving. They they gave Keaton Slovis some issues in the second half. Yeah, Keaton Slovis hasn't been having a great year either. But yeah, I think uh, much worse than Drew Pine. I I I mean, if you're if you're an opposed. I haven't watched North Carolina since the Notre Dame game, but why every other team wouldn't do exactly what Notre Dame was doing to North Carolina's defense uh, would be beyond me. I think you know, they play, they laid out a pretty good blueprint there. Now maybe North Carolina learned from its mistakes in that game and has adjusted from it. But um, getting to the question, I, I, the one thing that I would nitpick w- would be sort of the the – the capturing or the the phrasing of JD Bertrand being a stability player, whereas Maris Leofau is a star player. I think maybe we thought that would be the case, but that hasn't been the case. So I would, I think JD Bertrand has to play great. I mean, Maris Leofau needs to play well too. But I think if you're going to bet on someone having a great game to impact the game for Notre Dame, I like my money on JD Bertrand more than I like my money on Maris Leofau. Um, now maybe that's you don't feel great because you feel like Maris Leofau's ceiling is higher, but he just doesn't play at that ceiling on a regular basis. Now, obviously, made a big interception against Syracuse. If you can get a big couple of big plays out of him, that would be great. And I, I think he certainly is someone that Notre Dame could use a good game from. Um, those other guys, like Isaiah Foskey, I think he's been playing better as of late. He had a, a sort of weird stretch during the season um, where his playing time sort of decreased um, and he wasn't playing as well or impacting the game as well. And that certainly has changed in the last two games. Maybe big game out of him. Jason Adamola has been quieter as of late. I'm not really sure why that would be. I think Jared Patterson's been good. I'm not really worried about him. I think just sort of overall, 
I, I think sometimes I think we're being a little bit hypocritical. Like if a PFF grade matches what we think or matches our opinion, then it's like, okay, that's a good grade. But then if it doesn't match our opinion, then it's like, well, that isn't a good grade. And I don't know, like, I, I think I, that's how the world works. I mean, anytime you uh, are trying to support your argument, you're going to find stats that support it. Um, right. So my, it, my thought though, I've, I've backed off a little bit on pushing those grades out there as much as I was early in the season with the Foskey grades, because I just, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, it, 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 it definitely made me lose confidence in the accuracy of them. I think they're fun, but uh, to be the 16th best player in a game where you have three sacks is ridiculous. And and his pass rush grade wasn't good either. Right. And yeah. And that's like, if you, if you have some information to support why the grade is what it is, then maybe it's a little bit easier to sort of stand by it. But sometimes it, I mean, there's, there's just a bunch of numbers there. I mean, some sort of what you got at with the the, the uh, quantitative stuff, they, they do sort of measurement things and sort of point to certain types of plays that are being made or not made, and uh, that can be helpful. Um, and that's that's what I try to use a little bit more than the PFF grades. I like to share them and, and sort of digest them, but I don't sort of use them. Like, I wouldn't necessarily – like, like the, in this question, I wouldn't say um, Jarrett Patterson is markedly worse le- – this year than he was last year just because of his pff grade i I think there's a lot that go into the grades you're asked to play a different i mean for jared specifically he's asked to play a different position um how much do like what sort of consistency is in 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 the grades like is it the same person grading every week i like there's a lot of just sort of pff process questions that i don't understand they 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 grade very fast like like how 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 do they Right. Maybe How do they the do that? Didn't have enough coffee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes me till Tuesday to do to do the analysis that I want to do, and and I I don't sleep a lot during those first couple of days. I'm trying to catch up with all the things that I want to get done, and I'm not watching every player uh, for every snap. So, like, I, I don't know. I think it's a lot to do. So, I think some of it, um, there's going to be some imperfections to it. So, I don't know that I would live and die by those grades. And I, I wouldn't live and die by anyone's opinion in, in all times. I like, I wouldn't like even mine, like I, my opinion isn't always right. I, I know that. Uh, so I think there are, um, there's a lot of things that um, go into that. Um, I think I've answered, I guess the one person I would point to that wasn't, uh, or at least I haven't talked about yet is Brandon Joseph. I think he has been improving. Um, and certainly the Syracuse game was probably the best game of his Notre Dame career. And, him having a big game, I think, can go a long way against Clemson. I think he has the ability to do that. I, I don't have reason yeah. otherwise to believe so. The guy that has confounded me is Cam Hart. Yeah. I yeah. agree. He has not been as good of a quarterback. I thought he would be their number one quarterback, clearly. And I don't know that he – I mean, Tariq Bracey's their number one cornerback, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not sure that it's very close. Um, and, and I'm I'm not so sure if the game were on the line, I'd rather have Morrison or Cam Hart on the guy. Yeah, I think Morrison has struggled more as the season has gone on in certain areas, but I still think he at least seems a little bit more competitive on plays um, right. and is in position more. Uh, whereas like Cam Hart's thing, especially has been his tackling, it just was really has been really bad, and that that that. And you wonder like, if it's the shoulder related, right? And so many shoulder injuries, so. Lots, uh, lots to watch this this Saturday against Clemson. All right, we got two more questions. Uh, next one is from at I Robert Doyle. 
Weird season. He said, hi, Tyler and Eric. Weird season, eh? And I believe, if I'm remembering correct, Robert Doyle is from Canada. Uh, ND is really two plays. Yeah, weird season, eh? ND is really two plays from being 6-1 and and playing a top-10 game against Clemson, but we don't live in the land of what-ifs. Question, does Marcus still have the room, so to say, with the seniors? If I understand that phrase correctly, Hoser, um, (laughs) I would say... No, it wouldn't be something if he was from Louisiana. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think Marcus does have the room with the seniors. I think that they believe in him and and he has not abandoned them. You know, he's kept when younger players have jumped into the lineup or jumped up the depth chart, they've earned it. He hasn't, um, you know, sold them and said, well, you know, we're going to play for 2023 here. You can play for 2023 and play for 2022 without sacrificing, uh, but but just to play younger players, to get them experience and and to put the hardworking seniors on the sideline that have earned those places, uh, Marcus has held true. The other thing is, you know, the Syracuse game and some of the some of the other games that that they didn't lose to Stanford um, has, has shown. Marcus's methodology is working. I think people had to buy into the fact that this was a new regime and not an extension of Brian Kelly and and kind of compare it to 2021. So, yeah, I I definitely have seen nothing but respect for Marcus from the seniors and uh you know, we'll see how it plays out the rest of the season, but I I, I can remember you know, you talk about inexperienced coaching. I mean, Brian Kelly was an experienced coach and during the 2011 season, there was almost a mutiny, right? He, he went in front of the team and at a team meeting, he said, raise your hand. If, if you're, you know, we're recruited by Charlie Weiss and raise your hand if you're recruited by me. And he's like, you know, you guys that were recruited by Weiss, you know, he, he made the point that there was a, defect with those players and that they would have to come around and boy that did not go over well um and and he admitted that later but uh, Marcus never did something like that so you didn't have a division within the team and boy the rest of 2011 was rocky all the way I will say this you know Dane Chris was a five-star quarterback who didn't turn out to be a five-star quarterback on the field, but he was great at holding his recruiting class together. Mm -hmm. Michael Floyd and Kyle Rudolph and all those guys came. And when that 2011 thing happened, he could have been very divisive and he held the team together. And, you know, he was a very calming and, and uniting influence in the locker room and he didn't have to be. Yeah. I don't plan. I don't, get any sense that he's lost the room to to sort of put it in the opposite terms that Robert Doyle used. And I did verify that he does have an indicator on, on his Twitter that he is from Canada, just to make sure that we weren't running too far with the, with the joke with, with someone that maybe wasn't from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he has shown a commitment to wanting to win. He's not giving up on the season. He wants to, he wants to win games for these guys and he's embraced them. I think they've embraced him. Um, certainly there was frustration when you lose those games and everyone's looking for answers, man, why did this happen this way? But I haven't get, I haven't seen any indication or heard of any indication that people are like 
oh, what are we doing with Marcus Freeman here? I don't know that I trust this guy. What what does he really have our best intentions in mind? I I don't get that sense at all. So I, I think that he has those guys engaged now. It hasn't always been <laughs> seen on the playing field in terms of executing and, and getting the job done and being being um maybe even prepared to to win games as it should. Um, but I don't know that players have sort of uh felt like he's abandoning them or intentionally wronging them in some sort of way. Usually, I mean, in my opinion, that tends to happen more with the freshmen that aren't playing than it does for the seniors. And I think um, I don't get the sense that it, that is what is happening either, but I think it's more natural for freshmen to be like, oh man, this is sort of a reality check. And, and it, then it comes back to, do you buy into the leader of the program, your coaching staff um, to sort of stick, stick through this and be, be ready to contribute when you're asked. All right. Last question. Is from Andy Tarheel seven on the Insider Lounge. How likely is Notre Dame in serious communications with a quarterback currently committed elsewhere and/or with one not yet committed? With the almost deafening silence surrounding quarterback recruiting right now, the staff has to be devoting serious time to finding someone. Right? As any reporter straight up asked Marcus Freeman or Tommy Reese lately about the enormous elephant in the room. Um, and I'll and I'll start with this, Eric. I think, uh. Notre Dame is absolutely working on guys. The results aren't necessarily following through with that. Um, there's a quarterback who's expected to visit this weekend who will be covering on the Insider Lounge for our subscribers. Um, it, it, if you ask me, it seems like a stretch that it will work out and shouldn't be plan A, or I guess you could say like plan J, given how many plans have sort of failed for Notre Dame at the quarterback position in the 2023 class. Um, so there is work being done. Is it, is it successful work? I, I would say no. Um, now, how <laughs> part of the problem is, and I'd like to maybe ask Tommy about this, but there's so many other things that I always want to ask him about the offense. It's like, how do you balance this massive issue you have in needing a 2023 quarterback when you have a massive issue on your hand in terms of making the offense better? Like that seems, it seems to be like the worst position possible for Tommy Reese to be in right now, not having a quarterback commit in the 2023 class and also having plenty on his on his plate in terms of trying to get Drew Pine to be a better quarterback and Tommy Reese to be a better offensive coordinator. So we haven't asked either of them about it straight straight up. Like there's not much they can say on the record in terms of like people and stuff like that. I mean, so I don't know that we would get right. a ter- could not say that publicly. Right. They, could, they were recruiting somebody. They couldn't tell you who it was. Right. And so, I mean, I mean, I guess they could come out and say, oh, we're not worried about it. Like maybe that would be the answer. I wouldn't expect that's the, that would be the answer, but I don't know that like, to what extent they would say that that they are worried about it. So I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to ask Tommy about it, just sort of what it's like to be consumed by those two things during the season. Um, it's it's especially at the quarterback position. It's not normally ongoing this late in the cycle, at least at Notre Dame. Um, so I can't imagine that's helping. And certainly the struggles at the quarterback position don't necessarily help the quarterback recruiting efforts either. So I, I think it, I think these issues are sort of compounding on, on, on each other. Well, I, I think too, what do you, what can you sell that 2023 quarterback as you look at things right now? Right. He, he's not going to likely be in the mix to be the starter mm-hmm. in 2023. Right. Right. You've got CJ. Well, maybe. I mean, who, I mean, okay. who, 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 if you step, if you, if you're, a, if you're a star freshman quarter, like a star 2023 okay. quarterback, who on Notre Dame's roster are you afraid of? Right. I mean, no one's proven anything that you okay, can't be better are, than. Are they involved in that caliber of quarterback? Let's no, say. No, no. Okay, they, I mean, they were. Jackson, Jackson Arnold was in the mix. Then I think we have a different equation, but, 
but realistic targets is that 2023 guy have a chance to start uh, especially if Notre Dame's looking at a portal guy um right and and that's the thing there's a lot of speculation that Notre Dame will take a, a portal quarterback at this point and then you have that person competing with Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine then you have Angeli, Steve Angeli already on the roster. You have CJ Carr behind you. And so what's really the selling point to that 2023 guy? Now, if Notre Dame were not taking a portal quarterback, and they said, you're our guy. You're going to have a chance to come in in the spring, win the job, and possibly start for us um, in 2023. And it's somebody that could do that. Let's say a Jackson Arnold or Dante Moore or somebody of that caliber that they were in ball with Christopher Vizina at some point, then, then yeah, there's, and, and that person probably thinks they're better than CJ Carr. Uh, but, right. but if you're bringing a starting caliber quarterback in for uh winter semester, or, um, spring semester rather, um, and and no which is which is which is two two months from now like like the, right. the window is closing you know like right you're you're probably going to lose somebody like drew pine if he's he suddenly becomes option number three and he gets his degree i don't see him probably sticking around uh and again you still have to deal with steve angeli what if steve angeli turns out to be you know deshaun kaiser um you know i'm not saying that that's um likely but um the the portal possibility becoming more real and i think that's what notre dame's going to end up doing um but we'll see so tyler's got the inside scoop it's going to be on the insider lounge so we'll we'll see how smart all this uh turns out to be i think the key is to show up at the airport with a boom box and some <laughs> jazzy music and that might help well that didn't work for the wide receiver who wanted to come to, who was considering Notre Dame at that point uh but I think uh I don't know Notre Dame's gonna put continue to put forth an effort but I made this joke previously and I'll recycle my joke that Notre Dame's 2023 quarterback recruiting is is going as well as my in-season diet and uh, you don't want to know how much pizza I've had in the last month so I don't think it's uh it's going very well and I I don't see a, a great answer on the horizon now Maybe Notre Dame can make something happen. Maybe they can pull a rabbit out of its hat. Um, but it doesn't look good, at least from my perspective. And I, I have no reason to sort of believe some of the some of the optimism that can come out until I see the proof and it actually happens. Uh, I, I will remain skeptical. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating leave a review and share our podcast feed with your local pharmacist because you know they just they're just sitting there with 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 drugs all day they need they need something in their ears to get the get the day by all right our quest to go viral on youtube remains in its infancy uh we hosted another monday night live on halloween night reviewing the syracuse game and we will be back with our place your best predictions on friday for the clemson game And we will be back here next week to recap the Clemson game and get ready for a trip to Baltimore to play Navy. And until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.